Welcome back to Labor Law Radio. I'm your host, Michael Tracy, attorney at law. Picking up uh, the second half, uh, we're going to talk about the Private Attorney General Act of 2004, which uh, gives private citizens the right to pursue labor law violations as if they were the labor commissioner, essentially. Very interesting law. I want to just do some administrative wrap-up from our class action section that we just had in the first half. Uh, first of all, the general rule is that in terms of the total number of people that need to participate in a class, that is the total number of people that need to be injured, either not being paid overtime properly or being sexually harassed or in the consumer things, not given their um, blockbuster video or whatever it is, the number of people injured needs to be about 40 people is the standard rule. Realistically, though, you're not going to have a very good class at that uh, level. It's going to be very hard to certify if it's exactly 40 people. So generally, a plaintiff's attorney is going to want somewhere between 50 and 100 people to consider that case for class action. The reason is that some of those people may have side issues. They may have signed settlements. They may have had some other issues in there. They may opt out of the class, and you may be left with 40 people, and then you lose out on your class certification. Uh, which means that a plaintiff's attorney did a whole bunch of work and doesn't really get anything for it. He just has to proceed with individual litigation. So uh, essentially 40 people, anything over. A lot of attorneys, you know, the big class action firms won't take the case unless it has several hundred people in it. I had one attorney tell me he wasn't going to take a wage and hour case unless it had over a thousand people in it. Um, obviously, it'd be very small claims, though. I just couldn't see a thousand people getting you know fifty thousand dollars a piece, and him thinking that that was a small lawsuit. So, in any case, that's kind of the uh, the range that you need. You only need one person to come forward. Uh, that's all that uh, that's all that you need is one person to come forward. A lot of times they come in a group, four or five or six or seven people say, "Hey, we were all uh, in this together. We'd like to do this as a class action." So, in that case, let's say uh, five people come forward. Uh, it wouldn't just be for those five people. Five people would not be a class action. That would just be five people suing as part of the same lawsuit, uh, but they, generally they do that as a class action to represent the other hundred or so people that they uh, that were similarly injured. So in any case, that's all we're going to talk about for, for class actions. If you have any questions, uh, go on to uh, my website. I have some good information about there, but class actions are mainly procedural things, maybe th mostly of interest to attorneys, not a lot of exciting stuff going on there for the general public. But if you're really interested in the anatomy of a class action lawsuit, uh, be, you know, send me an email or uh, go to my website. We have, uh, we have some information up there about them. So in any case, um, let me just cover couple brief questions that uh, that I had gotten and get into an interesting news story here. Current events in terms of uh, labor and employment law. So first of all, the question I get, I get this one a lot, and I think I've covered it on the air previously, but people keep asking it, so I'll keep answering it. And that is the, re the amount of time that you are required to be given notice in order to work overtime or to change your schedule. That is, it's 5 p.m., and I'm, I'm on my way out the door, my employer says, hey, can you stay and work late an extra two hours today? You say, no, I've got to pick up my kid. And he says, well, that's fine. I'm going to fire you then. Uh, is that legal? And the answer is surprisingly yes. They are allowed to fire you for refusing to work overtime, uh, or even if it wasn't overtime, refusing to perform work. And remember the general rule in California, the employer can terminate your employment at any time for any reason or no reason at all. That's known as at-will employment. So refusing to work overtime for two hours is uh, uh, 
you know, a reason, maybe not a good reason, but the law doesn't require it be a good reason. It's any reason at all, as long as it's not illegal. Now, again, they're not allowed to fire you based on your age, race, gender, sexual orientation, a certain medical conditions, uh, things like that. That's what makes a wrongful termination. But on that list of things that I've delineated previously, refusing to work overtime is not one of them. So in general, uh, the employer can fire you for refusing to work overtime, and there is no requirement that they give you a day's notice or two hours' notice or anything like that. That is not regulated by statute. Now, I'll tell you, employers are not normally going to fire you on a whim. I'm an employer. It is very expensive to hire employees. It's very difficult to keep and retain good, qualified employees. It is very unlikely that an employer that's going to stay in business is going to fire their employees on a whim. I always get these questions. I was the best employee in this company, and they fired me because of some reason, you know, whatever reason they stay. Usually it's some ridiculous thing. I always find that difficult to believe. Generally, employers know who their best employees are, and they want to do whatever it takes to keep them. They're not going to fire them for coming in five minutes late or, you know, leaving because they had to pick their daughter up from, a, from school. Those aren't reasons why normal employers terminate people. So there's probably something else there. But as an attorney, I don't care. People are just asking me whether it's legal. Uh, and in those cases, uh, it is legal to fire somebody for refusing to work overtime, even with no notice at all. But chances are, if you, do, if you did get fired for that, the real reason they were firing you was something else, also probably legal, um, unless it was based on your age, race, gender, sexual orientation. But if it was because they had suspected you had taken money from the cash register six months ago, again, perfectly legal to fire somebody for suspecting that they took money from the cash register six months ago, even if you have no proof, even if the evidence is just because you heard from Joe, from Sally, from Sue that you had taken that money perfectly legal to terminate somebody because no reason whatsoever is required. So in any case, that's the answer to that question. Um, you know, there's just nothing in California law that requires uh, notice in order to, to work overtime. There are some limits on the total amount of overtime that you can work. We've talked about this before. Uh, certain wage orders have a 72-hour per week limit, and if you refuse to work more than 72 hours in a week, they can't fire you but that's only for certain uh, job categories, and 72 hours is a lot. Generally, uh, people are talking about much less overtime than that. So, okay, the next news item that I want to talk about, I find it a little bit humorous. Uh, maybe you will as well. This is a class action lawsuit that is... It's actually a collective action lawsuit, which is a slightly different version of class actions. Maybe I should have talked about that that last uh, last half hour. If I get finished with my private attorney general stuff on time, which I usually don't finish on time, but if I do, then I will get back into collective actions at the end of this hour. But very similar to class actions, a little bit different procedural devices. But um, this group of employees is suing the uh, Superior Court of California. So, of course, as an attorney, I find that hilarious. And the people who are suing are the court clerks, the bailiffs, the people that perform sort of the general functions inside a courtroom. If you've never been inside a courtroom, there's the judge that sits up at the uh, up at the head, and then there's a bunch of other workers that work sort of down in the well and around the outside edges of the of the court. And these people provide administrative support for the judge and the court, and you know the judge's assistant, the judge's clerk. 
there's a court reporter. Court reporters are excluded from this because uh, they don't work directly for the court. They're, they sort of work uh, as independent contractors. They're off in their own thing. But for the people who are employed directly by the court, they are now suing the court for unpaid overtime. So very interesting case because, one, it's against a court system and, you know, against the state of California. And a lot of people don't know that the federal overtime law, the Fair Labor Standards Act, applies to all government employees, state uh, employees. So even though generally California labor law doesn't apply to state of California employees, federal overtime law does. And we've talked a lot about the benefits of the Fair Labor Standards Act on this show. This is one of them where it is uh, providing much more uh, protection than California labor law is to this group of employees. But in any case, it's uh, an interesting lawsuit. Um, it looks like the firm representing them is uh, is two floors down from where, where my office is. So I would have loved to be a plaintiff's attorney in that case, but uh, for whatever reason... Um, they didn't. Uh, they didn't call me. It's down in San Diego. I do some work down in San Diego, but not a whole bunch. So I guess that's why they they went with this uh, this other firm. Would have been an interesting, uh, fun lawsuit. Uh, I'll keep you posted as we go through the uh, the mechanisms of that lawsuit. So in any case, um, that's it for uh, for class actions and news items. Now I want to talk about private attorney general act causes of action. And I get some people who email me who know a lot about this law, and they are just dead set on vindicating workers' rights uh, for employees in California. So hats off to all of you who do that. Hopefully they're cases that I can help you with. Um, but I want to tell everybody else exactly what this law is. Now, in general, law enforcement functions are reserved to the government. You can't go out and drive down the freeway and start pulling people over because they drive more than 65 miles an hour and writing them tickets. You can't do that. You'd get arrested if you did. Those functions are reserved for law enforcement personnel. The same thing with, uh, with you know, just about anything else. I mean, you can't say, oh, I saw a health violation. I saw this, this restaurant had too many rats in its back room, and I'm going to fine this restaurant $1,000. I took a picture of these five rats in the, in the back room, and therefore that's adequate proof. I'm going to fine them $1,000 for this uh, safety violation, take them to court, and make them pay it. You can't do that. Not legal. That is reserved for the government. However, in labor law, the California legislators said, we can't investigate all these things. The DLSE is swamped. Now, the, the Labor Board, Division of Labor Standards Enforcement, their Bureau of Field Enforcement, they're swamped. They can't deal with all these labor violations. Look how many employers there are in California. California is the largest economy in America. We've got millions and millions of jobs here, millions of jobs created every year. And we can't keep up with enforcing the labor laws. Employers aren't complying with them because they know that the government can't possibly enforce these. So what are we going to do? Well, they outsourced it. They outsourced it to individual employees and their attorneys. And that's why it's called the private attorney general. So the attorney general is, uh, you know, a uh, elected official. He brings cases against uh, criminals in the state of California, but he's got a limited budget. He can only uh, bring so many cases, and he has to pick and choose in terms of what do the people want to adequately protect. 
we can't go start pulling over everybody who drives over 65 miles an hour, even though they're breaking the law. That would just swamp our court systems, uh, make the the, elect the the voters quite annoyed at uh, such an extensive enforcement action on speeding tickets. Uh, it's just not something we can do. But they can say, we want to prosecute drunk drivers to a larger degree. You know, recently going after uh, sex offenders and pedophiles has been uh, very big. The, the voters have elected people who have said that is what we're going to spend our time and resources on prosecuting, uh, and, and good for them. But in, in doing that, obviously, they, they can't be prosecuting everybody who's violating minimum wage laws and meal break laws and, you know, these employees. A lot of people send me emails say, I read in the labor code that it's a misdemeanor to not give me my meal break, and I want these guys to go to jail. Yeah, okay, true, correct. You did find a labor law. Uh, it is a misdemeanor. Uh, there's never been a prosecution for it. I don't think there's any attorney general who's even going to remotely going to be interested in your case, but you can take it and say, well, there, yes, this is a misdemeanor, and the speech they can probably tell you is that, that's great. I'm going to put it on this list. As soon as all the murderers are in jail, as soon as all the rapists are in jail, as soon as all the pedophiles are in jail, as soon as all the armed robbers are in jail, as soon as all these other you know violent criminals, as soon as they're all in jail, I will investigate your meal penalty case and prosecute it to the full extent of the law. Just call me back as soon as I'm done with all these other cases. So obviously that's never going to happen. and They're not going to get to your case. But it is important. And you, you can't say, well, then let's not enforce the labor laws of California just because we're too busy to prosecute everybody. So the legislators said what we need to do is empower people who, one, have the information about these laws, and two, have some means of enforcing them to actually go out and enforce these laws. I mean, who best is going to know whether an employer is violating the labor laws? You're not going to be able to tell that from their tax returns or other reporting that they normally give to the government. The most likely people to know about labor law violations inside a company are the employees themselves. And those are the people who are now empowered to enforce these laws. So unlike a class action, which requires that you have suffered a similar injury and all these people be working in a similar job classification, the Private Attorney General Act only requires that you, one, work for the company, and two, suffer some sort of injury. So let's say you didn't get your meal breaks, or you didn't receive your paycheck on termination, or you were paid with an out-of-state check. All you need is one of those. You can then go sue that company for all the labor violations inside that company that are on the approved list. And basically anything that's major is on the approved list. You can't go uh, sue for some posting things or you know, asking some improper interview questions or things like that. Those you can't sue for. But a lot of the, the major stuff, stuff that's going to have monetary damages to it, you can sue on behalf of those. So if you didn't receive your meal break, you can sue for everybody who did not get their overtime. Not only that, but you're not just suing for the unpaid overtime portion. You're suing for what's known as civil penalties, essentially the fine that goes along with it. And the fines can be quite substantial. Uh, the law provides that the fine is generally $50 per employee per labor violation per pay period. So let's say they have 10 employees at this company. So 10 employees automatically, too small for a class action. So a lot of these smaller employees have been immune because they just say, hey, there's no class action here. 
we've just got 10 employees. You can't sue us as a class action. And they're right. So that means you have to have one person individually litigate his claim. And let's say he prevails. Let's say he gets his overtime. They pay it to him. Well, there's nine other people that they are stiffing out of their overtime, and that company is still making a profit from not paying people overtime. So if you've got 10 people, and let's say there's you know $10,000 each in unpaid overtime, and one of them sues them, and they have to pay the $10,000. In fact, they have to pay another $10,000 in attorney's fees and another $10,000 in fines. So this is a plaintiff's attorney's dream. You win all your attorney's fees, double the damages, the whole thing. That company paid $30,000 for that one employee. We'll even say they had to pay their own attorney $10,000. So now it's $40,000 that they had to pay this employee. The company's still coming out ahead because if they had chosen to comply with the law, they would have paid all 10 employees their $10,000 each. That's $100,000 in overtime that they had to pay. As it is, they just had to pay one guy 10000 bucks. their attorneys, you know, the whole thing cost them $40,000. They're still coming out $60,000 ahead, and they're immune from a class action. Now, if there's 100 people, you could do a class action, make them pay all 100 people all $10,000, and that company would have to, have to comply with the law. So for larger companies, uh, class actions are an effective tool, but they're not for mid-sized companies. So even if the company has 100 employees, chances are all 100 aren't in the same job categories. They're not going to be subject to a class action. So, I mean, you really need a couple hundred employees in the company before you're going to have enough for a class action, you know, that is to have enough people with the same job description, uh, that, you know, the same type, doing the same type of work. So, basically, anything 100 employees or smaller was pretty much immune to labor enforcement because even if they're caught on one of these things, uh, they're not going to significantly be penalized. They're going to have to pay their attorneys. They're going to have to pay a bunch of, of, of penalties to the employee. They're still coming out ahead. Now, there's this misconception out there that every time you file a claim at the labor board, the labor board runs over to the company and investigates all their employees. That's not the case. First of all, the labor board, the Division of Labor Standards Enforcement, does not investigate anything. They are simply a administrative adjudication facility where they bring in parties and resolve disputes. The Bureau of Field Enforcement is the division that goes out and investigates these claims, and generally they limit their enforcement actions to uh, minimum wage violations, things in the garment industry, things in the car wash industry, you know, basically lower wage claims. I mean, if you've got a claim of, you know, ten, twenty thousand dollars in unpaid overtime, well, they do have a right to. They they can go investigate these uh, these employers. I've never heard of it in anything other than minimum wage violations. You know, very, you know, the lower wage rungs that are out there. And the Bureau of Field Enforcement just doesn't have the manpower to go investigate every single claim that is brought to the labor board. So employers aren't concerned that you take your case to the labor board and that they are going to get investigated. That just it doesn't happen. If you take it to the Bureau of Field Enforcement, you report it to somebody else, the likelihood of them being investigated is extremely small. In fact, the legislator put that in the law. Specifically, they said, we don't have the resources to go after all these companies that are violating uh, the labor laws. And that's why we're passing this Private Attorney General Act. So Private Attorney General Act essentially allows you, as the employee, to act as the labor commissioner. In particular, the law says any civil penalties or fines that the labor commissioner can recover, the employee can now recover. Now, it doesn't mean you get those personally. The way the law is is that 75% of the fines go to the state of California. You don't get a windfall just because you happen to be the one that reported this. Uh, the other 
goes to the agreed employees. There's sort of an open question about where that 25% goes. So it's undisputed, 75% goes, uh, goes to the labor board. So we'll go back to our 10 employees example. 10 employees not being paid overtime every single week is a $50 per employee fine uh, for the overtime. So that's $500 a week that this company is going to have to pay in fines. In addition, they have to pay the overtime. So you, you don't need to go through the class certification. You can force them to go pay the $100,000 in overtime. And in addition, they're going to have to go pay the $500 a week fine for you know 52 weeks a year. It's going to come out to be about $25,000. At that point, so now they didn't pay one employee. He's disgruntled. Uh, not only do they have to pay this employee, they have to pay the other 10 employees plus the state of California $25,000 in fines. That suddenly puts a big incentive on employers to comply with the labor law, especially when the employee who brings it doesn't actually have to have a great case. So he maybe his overtime claim is only for $100, but he can still sue on behalf of everybody else, and maybe all these other people have a, you know, a, substantially higher claims, hopefully, and the attorney's not going to take a case for $100, but um, not only would all those other people need to give it, be paid, but you'd have all these civil penalties that go along with it, and that is what hopefully is going to encourage employers to comply with the law, especially these mid-range employers, you know, the, the 50 to 100, where they're immune from class actions and they can simply dispose of the, uh, the individual claims relatively easy and still uh, not comply with the, uh, with the labor law. Now, getting back to this 25%, so we know 75% goes to the state of California. It's an open issue where this other 25% goes to. The law says aggrieved employees, but it's not entirely clear whether that's simply the named person that brought the lawsuit or all the employees that were sued on behalf of. It makes more sense from an enforcement point of view to pay the 25% to the person who brought the lawsuit forward. It doesn't make any sense if you're the one that comes forward that all the uh, penalties are split with all the other people who did absolutely nothing. That encourages people to do absolutely nothing and hope that somebody else brings the lawsuit forward. On the other hand, unfortunately, there's been a couple court decisions that say indirectly that it needs to be split among the other people. Now, I say indirectly, one of them specifically says it needs to be split among the other people, but that particular issue wasn't before the court. The court wasn't deciding that. So frequently courts publish what is called dicta, that is essentially just their opinion on something. Courts are only empowered to decide cases before them. So if, if they have an unpaid overtime case and the judge wants to make an opinion about, you know, whether this person was sexually harassed or wrongfully terminated or anything like that, he can put it in there and say, well, yeah, this is a great overtime case. I'm awarding him $10,000 in unpaid overtime. And golly, gee, this was a great wrongful termination case. If she ever brought a case for wrongful termination, she would be sure to win. Um, that may include the plaintiff's attorney and to bring that case, but that would not be binding on the future court. Uh, the, the other court could say that. That's, I'm glad that that judge had the opinion about the wrongful termination case. Now, his decision in the overtime case is binding because he decided the overtime case. But what he said about that wrongful termination, great opinion. I'll read it. 
And if I want to listen to it, I will. And if I don't want to listen to it, then I won't. But I'm going to decide this case on the facts before me, not on some other judge's opinion. That's known as dicta, and that's essentially what happened in this case. The judge was looking at the case, and he says, well, yes, this it was he was deciding a class action procedure. And he said, these are the procedures for class actions. Oh, and by the way, in private attorney general cases, the 25% needs to be split among the uh, existing employees. Well, he wasn't deciding the private attorney general uh, how that money should be split. So his opinion isn't binding. It is an appellate court decision, so his opinion is probably going to be given quite a bit of weight. But uh, that leaves it as an open issue. Hopefully, it comes down in terms of uh, the 25% being given to the named employee. That way, um, it encourages people to come forward with their claims. Uh, you could get a substantial amount of money. I mean, if it's a $100,000 fine and you're going to get 25% of that for being the person who brings it forward, that's going to encourage a lot more people to bring these cases forward. And that could be a bad thing. Uh, that could encourage a bunch of people to bring frivolous claims hoping to get this $25,000 or whatever the amount of money is when there's not legitimate uh, labor violations out there and could increase the number of frivolous lawsuits out there. But that's not likely because keep in mind, I mean, like we talked about previously, plaintiff's attorneys only get paid when we win. Frequently when we, smaller companies and they write us a letter back uh, directly rather than going through with their attorney. It's always funny when they do it. It helps us out if you're an employer don't respond back to the plaintiff's attorney's letter. Get an attorney to, to deal with the case. Um, you're just going to make admissions that are, we're going to use against you later. makes my job a lot easier. So if it's one of my letters, I, I guess you can reply back and say all sorts of stupid things in it. And I'll appreciate that. makes my case much easier. But they always say how we're trying to drive employers out of California and frivolous lawsuits. I don't get paid to drive employers out of California. I don't get paid to bring frivolous lawsuits. I only get paid if ultimately at the end of the day somebody says your client gets this money. Usually at the end of the day it's a judge or a jury. And if that judge or jury isn't going to say, you know, your client gets that money, I don't get paid. And as I said, it cost me a ton of money. Plaintiff's attorneys have absolutely zero incentive whatsoever to bring harassing, frivolous claims that are trying to destroy the economic environment in California. The only claims that we have any incentive whatsoever to bring are ones that are going to get us uh, some money and hopefully a lot of money, not some little nickel and dime thing for some frivolous labor code violation. We want to go after meaty claims where people are being injured and not being paid properly and employers are unfairly taking advantage of their employees. That's what a jury is going to give us a big verdict on. Not some, you didn't, you know, the, the bold face font wasn't large enough in your labor code posting to the minimum wage. That wouldn't be a violation we could sue for. But even if you could, a jury's not going to give you anything for that. It's just not something that we're going to be successfully prosecuting. We have no interest in that. So, to counter the claims that, oh, well, it'll bring a bunch of frivolous lawsuits, unless employees are going to go out and start paying their, their attorneys by the hour, which I don't see happening, it's going to remain on a, largely a contingency basis, and that alone is what keeps frivolous lawsuits, a good portion of frivolous lawsuits, out of the system. Obviously, in any system, there are problems. In any case, that's all we have, all the time I have for. I didn't have time to get into collective actions. We'll take that up a little bit later. Uh, but we did cover class actions, private attorney, general actions. If you have any questions about them, uh, drop me a line online. If not, uh, I will see you next week. Thank you. This broadcast has been a commercial advertisement of the law office of Michael Tracy. Not meant to be legal advice. It's not a certain established attorney-client relationship. Any statements made during this broadcast are relevant. We're not guaranteed any outcome. Michael Tracy is licensed as an attorney only in California.